Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Uh, several from uh, the Proverbs. This is from Genesis. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. 18, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 25, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And then from John 15, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you, so that you will love one another. John 13, by this all people will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then finally, Matthew 11, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, but they said of him, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is the reading of God's word. And every bit of it is true. And he's given it to us. Because in Christ, he calls you his friend. Amen. You may be seated. Loneliness. Loneliness is a thing. There are nine million people who say they always feel lonely. It cost employers $3.5 billion a year to deal with depression caused by loneliness. Research shows that loneliness is associated with the reduction of lifespan, like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Here's some quotes from some people that you would not think they would be lonely. It is strange to be known so universally and yet be so lonely. 
Albert Einstein. Loneliness is about the scariest thing out there. Josh Whedon, the director of Avengers. Sometimes I think the only people who stay with me and really listen to me are people I hire, the people I pay, Marilyn Monroe. Her name was Doris. Doris was 82 years old, and she was in the hospital two days before Christmas. And the doctor was saying that she was uh, doing well and healthy enough to go home, but she kept saying things like, my arm hurt. And then next it was her hip, and then it was also her stomach. But the doctor told her, he said, Doris, for 82 years old, you're amazingly healthy. I think we're going to stick with the plan to go ahead and send you home. And then Doris looked down at the floor and she said, I don't want to go home. She said, you see, I'm all alone and there's just so many hours in the day. And then she said to the doctor, doctor, is there a cure for loneliness? You know, Jesus told his disciples, he said, by this all men will know you are my disciples because you have love for one another. Jesus is telling us that the making, the developing, the cultivating of gospel friendships will be a force in the world to push back the darkness of loneliness. Doctor, is there a cure for loneliness? You know, we all feel that ache. We all struggle to make connection, don't we? So let's look at this wisdom together. First, we are fashioned for friendship. You know, we experience loneliness. Experiencing loneliness, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not because something is wrong with us that we experience loneliness. It's because something is right with us. We experience loneliness because we know down deep we were made for connection. The Bible tells us that we were made for community. We were fashioned for friendship. God said, let us make man in our image. God is triune. God is a community of three. God is a fellowship. We don't come from loneliness. We come from friendship. In Genesis, God creates the world. And in every step, he says, good. This is good. This is good. And then God says the very first negative word of the Bible, it is not good that man should be alone. This is before sin has entered the world. And of course, this verse is referring to marriage, but it's clear from the rest of the Bible that marriage is not the magic bullet cure for loneliness, that God gives friendship as the healing power for all people. I mean, Paul, right? Jesus. Neither one of them were married. Yet, we see them tethered to others. In all the epistles in the New Testament, in one way or another, they say something like this, that you are called to be saints together. We are fashioned, we are made, we are called to be a gathering of friends. But in our culture, our culture pushes hard against friendship love. It pretty much ignores it 
all together. I mean, all the movies, all the books, all the songs are about romantic love, right? You you go to Publix, and you stand there waiting to check out, and all the magazines on the rack, they're not about who's best friends with who. They're all about who's sleeping with who. Lewis says this, he says, friendship is the least natural of loves. There's nothing throaty about it, nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red or pale. So in our busy, busy, fast-paced culture, you you have your family, you have your vocational relationships, and everybody wants romance. And friendship takes an incredible amount of time and intentionality. And so it always gets squeezed out. Think of how many men work their entire careers and they retire and they have no friends. Yet for all the underrating of friendship in our culture, the Proverbs tells us this, that you will perish for the lack of having friends. Or you will perish because you have chosen your friends poorly. You're fashioned by God for friendship. There was a, uh, a young woman who was new to a community and new to her church. And she decided that she needed to do something and try to make some friends. So she invited a bunch of other young moms over to the house for tea. And, and uh, she was delighted because a lot of them came. And, uh, but the problem was when they got there, they pretty much just stayed in their cliques. They didn't really talk to her. They kind of were just busy chatting among uh, the people that they knew. And so she got the courage and just spoke up. And she said, you know, I invited you guys to my house because I don't have any friends. I need to make some friends. And they all just kind of got really quiet. And it was a really awkward moment. And soon after that, they began to leave. But one woman stayed to help clean up. And when everyone else was gone, she turned to the host and she said this, I'll be your friend. I need a friend. Can you say that? Can you own it that you need friends? That you were made for it? That you will not flourish without it? Can you take in the wisdom the Bible wants to give you. You know, the number one regret of people who are terminally ill is they wish that they had spent more time developing deeper friendships. Second, not only are we fashioned for it, but we need to forge friendships. Proverbs gives us three Building blocks are marks of the kind of friends. First, friendship is discovered. 27 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. This word sweetness is a reference to honey, that friends are like delicious, sweet food. Now, When the book of Proverbs was written, there was no such thing as sugar. You didn't add sugar to food to make it sweet. You actually had to discover sweet food. You had to find it. Emerson says this, 
Friends do not say, do you love me? No, a friend asks, do you see the same truth? Lewis says this, a typical expression of the opening of a friendship is something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Oh, so you see the same thing I do? You love motorcycles? You love fishing? Oh, you play pickleball? Oh, we've got to get together. That friends see something else that is beautiful and it draws them together. So you don't go around making friends by saying, do you want to be my friend? No, you see the same beauty, the same interest, the same vista. Lovers are always face-to-face talking about their love. But friends are not. They're side-by-side, shoulder-to-shoulder, rejoicing in the same common vista. Lewis says this. This is why it's so pathetic This is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that you would want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing, I don't care about that truth, I just only want a friend. Well, then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. That's why friendships are forged when you jump into life and you jump into some of the interests that God has given you. When you jump into serving in your community because you see a need and you're passionate about it. When you jump into serving in the church because you want to be part of something. And as you're doing that, you're making friends with people who are side by side. I've known people in this church for years. And they come to church every weekend. And they say to me, I don't have any friends. And I say, well, what else do you do other than just show up on Sunday morning? Nothing. And I say, well, then you won't have any friends. It's because you got to go at life. Friendship is something you discover when you're on the move. Second is a helpful presence. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. You know, when you go through adversity, your family, your biological family, will come when the chips are down. They'll show up, but they may not like you, right? But a friend loves at all times, the good, the bad, and the friend likes you. He likes to hang out with you. He wants to go get a beer and just chill out and talk. This is why friendship is such an incredible gift. Proverbs 18. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many friends, a person of many friends will come to ruin, but the friend sticks A friend will not let you go into ruin. A friend sticks at all times. Proverbs 25. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day. Now why would someone sing songs to someone who has a heavy heart? The reason is is because they're emotionally disconnected. 
And their disconnection is this. I, I'm fine if you're down. I'm, I'm okay if your world is collapsing. Charlie Drew says this. He says, once you start parenting, you realize that you're only as happy as your most unhappiest child. And that's true right from the beginning. And it's true the rest of your life. You are emotionally connected to your children. It just happens automatically. And here's what's so amazing about friendship. Is with friendship, you choose it. You choose to be emotionally connected to them. Such that when they're in sorrow, you're in sorrow. When they're rejoicing, you're rejoicing. You can't sing happy songs when your friend's world is falling apart. You just can't go through the routines when their life is collapsing. And friendship gives this emotional connection as a gift. This is why, you know, you, you can't have too many close friendships because it's impossible to be connected with many companions. But friends choose to move in and bear your burdens. I'm in Chicago, Jack said. I misunderstood him. I, I thought he was offering to come to Chicago. Bob writes, my wife just died. I was so numb, I felt dead myself. And the hours after her death, our children and I tried in vain to figure out what to do, how to breathe. I took the first flight this morning, Jack said, I heard the news and I've, I've flown in. I know you probably don't want to see anyone. That's all right. I've checked into a hotel. I will sit in the room in case you need me to do anything. I can do whatever you want or I can do nothing. He meant it. He knew the best thing he could do was just be present in the same town and to tell me that he was there. And he did just sit there. I assumed he watched TV or did some work and waited until I needed him. He helped me do things that no man ever wants to have help with. Mostly, he just sat with me. He brought food to me and my children. He shared our silence. He got us through those days. He bore the burden, all of it. Friends, they choose to bear your burdens. And the third building block is self-disclosure. You know, this is a, a mutual self-disclosure between friends because you just know each other. You've just talked long enough that sometimes you know what each other's thinking or needs without even having to say it. There's a level of comfort, a familiarity, inside jokes. Tish Warren says this. She says, Rebecca is that kind of friend, one of just a handful whose life has been so bundled up with mine, I can't make sense of me without her. She knows me good and bad. We share a passion for beauty, butter, urban design, and an indulgence for chips and TV, which we enjoy together every Wednesday night when we lived on the same street. We love each other. This also means there's a level of, this includes a level of, of, of counsel and candor and confession. There's this, there's this transparency where you can ask or don't even have to ask. Is there anything you're not telling me? 
Biblical friendship moves towards a, a honesty, confessing struggles and doubts and, and even addictions. One man said this, I had no idea that I would be calling my friends to confess at the age of 29 that I need pills and alcohol just to fall asleep. Another man said, my marriage is not going well. I struggle with pornography and a, and a critical spirit. You see, friends, they stick together and they beat back the darkness together. Because sin is not like a kitty cat purring at your door. No, sin and darkness is like a lion crouching at the door waiting to devour you and your friends. And friends know that about one another. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So wounds, right? Wounds of a friend. These are words that are spoken in friendship that hurt. They're painful and hard to say, and they're painful and hard to hear. We have to challenge your friend. If you think, okay, well, I am friends with them, but I, I'm so afraid to say something. I mean, who am I to speak into their life? Well, then you're not a friend. Hidden love is not love. It's just self-protection. You know, I've had friends who've wounded me uh, in this way. One time I was with a group of friends in Texas and um, I was sharing some stuff about my life. And um, one of my old friends, I consider him to be very wise. He just interrupted what I said and he was interrupted me. He said, wait a minute, Jones. So you're telling me that's how you're doing life in ministry? And I said, yeah, what's up with that? He said, you don't see it, do you? And he challenged me on an area of my life that I was, that I was doing that was causing great exhaustion and stress on my marriage. And so I took his advice and told my wife, and we changed that pattern of living. Another time, a friend of mine came to me. He was earnest. He was, you could tell he was all prayed up <laughs> and, uh, and is sweating bullets to call me out on something, and he tells me it, and he totally whiffed. I mean, it didn't apply. It wasn't actually true at all, but I totally loved the guy because he did it. Even though I felt like it didn't apply, and I asked the Lord, hey, does this really apply to me? And it didn't, but it was, it was beautiful. There was a friend of mine in seminary named John. We were very close. Our families were close. And through much anxiety and prayer, I had to sit down with John over lunch one day and call him out. And I called him out, and he looked at me. You know what he said? Nothing. He just kept eating his lunch. We changed the subject. He did. And that was it. Ten years later, he says to me, hey, Adam, you remember that day in seminary when we had lunch together and you called me out about my marriage? He said, that was the catalyst that woke me up to help me protect my marriage in ministry. 
I've got a friend, old friend. This is Gerald Garcia. Gerald and I were in college together. We started doing Young Life together. Um, uh, tragically and sadly, Gerald died two years ago of a brain tumor. When we were young, um, I was dating my wife and uh, I was really struggling uh, whether she was the one for me. And Gerald, uh, I still remember the day we were out walking and I was so mad at Ann. <laughs> and he just laughed at me and he called me out and he woke me up. He goes, you are so in love with her. I go, no, I'm not. He goes, yeah, look at what you're doing. He did not hide his love for me. He risked our friendship. And Gerald was one of those guys, I love him. But man, you hate it when he was right. You have friends like that? <laughs> 35 years of marriage, and Gerald stepped in and spoke up. Justin Early uh, writes this, he said, friendship embodies the power of the gospel in a unique way because in friendship we live out the truth of the gospel to each other. What is the gospel besides Jesus knows how broken we are and he sticks around to love us anyway? What is a friend except someone who knows how broken we are and he sticks around to love us anyway? Are you, are you heeding the wisdom of Proverbs to develop friends, to discover them? Can I tell you where you need to go to do this? You're already here. It's the church. Can I tell you something? If you're not trying to get connected with believers in this church, if you're not trying to find a small group, if you're not trying to find a ministry to get plugged into, you're not going to have friends. You know, the wise heed this. And the foolish neglect it. Because you're too busy. You can't be too busy for this. Now, we have to be honest. Because when you talk about friendship, there's a lot of longing. And there's a lot of sorrow. Uh, and there's some disappointment. We long for our friendships to be deeper, um, to have our friends close by. You know, and sometimes when you just think about friendship, you can just get so discouraged because you have been betrayed by friends, haven't you? Your friends have let you down. And you know there's been situations when you were not the kind of friend you needed to be. You didn't speak up and say hard things. And you watched, you watched a friend's life get washed out. You didn't show up. A friend always lets you in and never lets you down. Well, you feel let down, don't you? And so an admonition to get out there and develop deeper friendships, you're like, uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing that again. So where do you get the power to be a friend and to have friends? Well, that's the third point, the fullness of friendship. Jesus says in John 15, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Here's what Lewis says. For a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret masters of ceremony has been at work. 
Christ who said to his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. In other words, God has given you friends for you to develop all around you. He's put them right beside you in your life. He has chosen them for you. He's placed them in your life for you to develop and grow in those friendships. And the the beautiful thing about the gospel, and uh, I've learned this from my wife, is the gospel calls us not to be snobs when it comes to our friendships. Where we only have friends who are just like us, who are just a mirror reflection of who we are in every way. Now, the gospel enables us to be free to have friends of all different variety, all different stations in life. Because Jesus, after all, left his gated community, didn't he? To become friends with sinners like us. In John 15, on the night before he died, Jesus said this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Complete self-disclosure. Jesus is saying, you're my friends. I'm going to give you the inside scoop of everything I've learned from the father. Jesus is putting the whole history of the world in terms of friendship. You know, when God created the world, Adam and Eve, Adam walked with God in the garden as a friend. And then Adam fell, he betrayed God. And what happens in betrayal? You know, what happens when a friend betrays you? What happens with that? What do we do in our world? We cancel people. That's it. You're done. We're no longer friends. You betrayed me. That's it. It's over. But Jesus is the ultimate friend who loves at all times. He will not let you go to ruin. He has bound up his happiness with yours. His wounds are the wounds of love because he takes our wounds. Jesus on the cross lost his friendship with God to heal our betrayal. Go back to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Jesus is there with his friends, and they fail him. They betray him. They run scared, and Jesus is left what? All alone. And the Father says to him in the garden as he is sweating blood, he says to to Jesus, all right, here's the deal. You're going to go through hell, or you can just choose to lose your friends. Jesus says, I will go through hell. I will take the Father's wrath to keep my friends. He sticks closer than a brother. In 2016, there was an interview with Francis Clemens. Clemens played the friendly officer Clemens on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for 25 years. Clemens was courageous because he became the first black actor to have a reoccurring role on a children's television series. And Fred Rogers went out on a limb to cast him as a police officer, the first time that was ever done. Clemens was hesitant. 
He had his reservations. He didn't know if he wanted to cross these barriers and be, uh, be like a, a Jackie Robinson in some ways. He didn't know if he would be accepted. But there was one scene that Clemens remembers with great emotions. Here's a picture of it. This is a scene from 1969. Rogers is at first alone, resting his uh, feet in this plastic swimming pool. It's a hot day as it's set up. Clemens did not know what was going to happen next. Remember, this is 1969. Blacks and whites did not swim together. This is what Clemens says. To my shock, he he invited me to come over and rest my feet in the water with him. The icon Fred Rogers was not only showing my black skin in 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 the pool with his white skin as two friends, but as I was getting out of the pool, he helped me dry my feet. Clemens says he'll never forget that day when Rogers was wrapping up the program as he always did, you know, hanging his sweater on the hook and looking and saying, you make every day a special day just by being you. And I like you just the way you are. But this time in particular, Rogers was looking right at Clemens. And so when he got off camera, Clemens went to Rogers and said, Were you talking to me? And Fred Rogers said, I've been talking to you for years, but today you finally heard me. Friends, some of you have been coming to church for years. Some of you have heard the gospel for years. Could it be today is the day that you're going to hear Jesus talking to you when he says, I call you my friend. I mean, could that coin drop for you? Do you know that Jesus is talking to you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, If we could just really think about it, it's nuts that you would call us your friends. We don't bring much to it, do we? But you move towards us with joy and delight because you paid such a dear price, your own precious blood, to make us your friends. May we rejoice in the confidence, in the rest, in the hope in the assurance that we call you friend as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org. Thank you.